podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes, you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we look at the too much cricket conversation in light of what happened with Ben Stokes. We're not cars where you fill us up with petrol or diesel and let us go. That was Ben Stokes, obviously not a hybrid or electronic car enthusiast, talking about professional players. And it's true, isn't it? I think there is this theory that they can continue to play and play, but it isn't like a normal job. You're talking about the very best people in the world, the best 11, 15 people from each nation, and they're only ever going to be so good if you continue to push them. If you want cricketers to play at 100%, That's very hard when you're playing too much cricket. And we've been playing too much cricket for a very, very long time now. This isn't particularly a new issue or something that's just come along of recent times. There has been too much cricket played for a very long time, probably since the moment we got ODI cricket, definitely from when we got T20 cricket, even more so when we got franchise cricket. And the difference is that, and I will talk about some of the historical things here, But at international level and also at IPL level, maybe occasionally in some of the better T20 franchises, you don't have that ability to gear back. I remember talking to a player a few years ago about how the schedule really ruined his body. And he was saying, yeah, look, it did. And maybe it did shorten a few years off my career, but my body was already starting to show wear and tear from domestic cricket as well. And so what I asked was, if you'd played the last, I don't know, five, six years domestically instead of international, would you have retired at the same age? And he sort of smiled. He said, no. And I said, that's because you can gear back in domestic cricket. And he was like, yeah, that's essentially the big difference. In international cricket, there are times when you can gear back. You know, if you're a fast bowler playing against a team that struggles against fast bowling, occasionally, if you're a batter, you might not have to bat big in every particular case and put more strain on your back. You might be able to get a quick hundred, for instance, and let everyone else have a go. But realistically, more often than not in international cricket or those top franchise leagues, you're playing at close to 100%. There are very few players who have the ability at the absolute top level to be able to gear back. Perhaps someone like A.B. De Villiers was someone who might come to mind. And, you know, we saw Jofra Archer do that when it comes to pace. But most players are just trying to hold on. There's a lot of strain that goes on to the body. And of course, now the system that we have, the only real option left is to give up something. And I think players have been giving up either the red ball or the white ball, and they've been focusing on one or the other. That makes some sense. But if you are an international player and you look at someone like Ben Stokes, who probably grew up in the era, or maybe or maybe not, he takes T20 cricket as seriously. Just to go back, I once talked to Ricky Ponty and I asked him why he took one-day cricket so seriously when no one else had. And that's because he grew up watching it on the TV and didn't realize that the players didn't take it that seriously. I don't know where Ben Stokes fits into that if he's one of those players, but T20 cricket is obviously going to be where he gets the majority of his money. 
that's the place that's going to ensure that his family has wealth well beyond just um, him and his children, perhaps. You know, that ability to really transcend the levels of, of, of wealth that he's, he comes from. He's not from a particularly, you know, wealthy family, of course. You know, his, his father was in professional sports as well, but not on the level of Ben Stokes. So he has that ability to do that. And T20 allows him for that. But also, it's quite clear that test cricket is his favourite format. And I think if you look at it, I heard a lot of people saying this week that one-day cricket was perhaps his best format. I don't think it is. I, th I think test cricket probably is his best format, only because in one-day cricket and T20 cricket, his bowling never really worked, and it could have. But also, he might just like test cricket more. He might think about test cricket more. He might dream of test cricket more. You know, all those sorts of things. And so for him, he's taken what is another option, and we've certainly seen other players do similar things here, where he's given up what is probably the most taxing when it comes to traveling compared to what it actually pays you financially, which is one-day internationals. And there's never going to be a one-day domestic league that's going to pay him the sort of money. So it makes sense. On one hand, he's looking after his family. On the other hand, he's playing the former game that he probably loves the most. And let's be honest, if you're an England test player, especially as captain, He's going to make a lot of money, especially someone at his level. He should be able to make a lot of money from advertising and endorsements and, you know, secure his future well beyond just playing. So playing test cricket really makes sense for him. The thing is, though, whether it's Ben Stokes or any of these other players who have been doing similar things over the years, if you look back at my old work, I think 2008 was the first time I wrote an article about players retiring by installments. The only thing that's really changed from 2008 to now is the fact that the installments have changed, right? So before it was probably giving up test cricket or international cricket and going into T20, or it was keeping, you know, maybe one format of the game going and then trying to wring as much out of that as you could at the end. I think in Ben Stokes's case, it's a little bit more interesting that he's kept the two extreme sports, test cricket and T20 rather than ODI cricket. But that also says something about ODI cricket. Again, in 2008, I always thought that was the most logical form of the game that was going to wither. Not the World Cup. Oh, I do believe that the one-day World Cup will remain one of the biggest things, at least throughout the next 20 years. Who knows what happens in 40 years' time when things have changed. But over the next 10, 15, 20 years, I expect the World Cup to be very big. But bilateral one-dayers, they worked very well for the free-to-air model of being able to put an ad at the end of every over. But they don't work in the same way that T20s and test matches work. Test matches are incredible for streaming platforms because it's five days of seven hours a day or seven and a half hours, I suppose. And you know it's back to back, so people are going to continually come back to it. That works for cable TVs and for streaming. T20 tournaments work brilliantly because it's primetime games every night for a month, two months, with the IPL eventually three months, right? All these things work. One day bilaterals don't really work. You've got a game on a Saturday, then you've got a game on a Tuesday, and then you've got a game on a Thursday, and then you've got a game on a Saturday again. It doesn't make as much sense. You know, not every cricket fan in the world even knows when a game is on. Whereas once a test match has started, you instantly know that. There are things about the one-day format that don't work. Not to mention that just in general, we're not getting as much money out of bilateral one-day cricket or bilateral cricket in general as we should because we don't sell it in a package. So again, that makes it even more loose. Where it's been great over the years is bringing in casual fans and for TV audiences. Well, casual fans now prefer T20 cricket and TV audiences are completely sewn up by these T20 leagues. So you have a format of the game 
that is very vulnerable. And look, I should put my cards on the table. For almost from the time T20 existed, one-day cricket's always been my third favourite format. My fourth favourite format is indoor cricket, followed by beach cricket. Um, no. But of the formats, it's, it's never been one for me. But it was also quite clear from a business standpoint that it didn't make as much work. Sorry, it didn't make as much sense, I should say. It's the cricket schedule that doesn't work, right? And it's very important when we say this, and this episode's probably going to be called something along the lines of, there is too much cricket. There's not too much cricket for everyone. There's not too much cricket for disability teams. There's not too much cricket for women's sides. There's not too much cricket for a lot of the associates. There's not too much test cricket for Ireland or Afghanistan, right? There's too much cricket at the very top level of the top 8, 10, 11 teams, right? The amount of cricket that those men's sides are playing is absolutely astronomical. And the schedule itself doesn't make any sense. It's completely archaic. And the more teams we throw into it and the more tournaments and the more formats that we throw at it, the more complicated the entire mess of fixtures becomes. I always think about it from a very, you know, if you were starting again. And with all sports, if you started again, they would be completely different to what they are now. I understand that. But if you were starting from absolute scratch, you would never devise a system like this. Bilaterals worked in the times when there were letters, a few teams, boats, and no cable TV or even actual TV, and certainly no streaming. That's what bilateral series were made for. When there was three teams, essentially, or two teams, if you want to go back all the way, but essentially South Africa, Australia, and England, that bilateral system worked. But remember that even within that bilateral system, what did they try and do? They tried to create a three-team tournament. Even they realized that to get the sort of cricket that they wanted and the sort of money that they wanted, they needed to create something a bit more like a league. I was talking to CS Chinawazi recently about money in cricket, and I said the, the ideal system for England, when everyone talks about T20 cricket and the leagues and the 100, that's really good. But maybe the ideal system in England would be from the beginning of May to the end of September playing day-night test matches in England every Thursday to Sunday, right? That might be the ideal situation. The problem is that you cannot play that much international cricket. And that's where these leagues and these T20 series make a lot more sense because you're now in a situation where you, it doesn't matter that Virat Kohli only plays every four or five nights because you have Rohit Sharma on the other night. You have KL Rahul on the other night. You have AB de Villiers. You have Kagisa Rabada. You know, you have all these different players coming through every night. And that's what the league can do. We can never do that with international cricket. So the first time we tried to do that was in 1911 with Australia, South Africa, and England. It bombed for many different reasons. One reason was it was very wet. Also, you couldn't broadcast it back to Australia and South Africa. So unless the England fans actually turned up, it was never going to work. Plus, it wasn't the best Australian team. A lot of things went wrong with that tournament. But if you go through to Kerry Packer, you then have the next one when Australia is playing these tri-series and these quad-series. And one of the reasons that those died, and they've obviously moved on, a lot of the Asian countries started doing similar things and some of the other countries started doing them as well. One of the reasons that they died out, again, was in that stage, you were playing cricket quite often not in the right time zone for the other fans to be able to watch it. Cable TV, streaming, all those sorts of things were either at the start of their reign or were miles away from even existing. Although Crick Info did stream cricket tours in 1996 online. 
one frame per five seconds, I think. Mick Jagger paid for it. It's a very weird aside, but that all actually happened. So Packer's idea sort of fell apart. What the league allows you to do is to have homegrown teams, even if there's a lot of internationals and a lot of players from Mumbai in every team or Chennai or whatever situation you have, and you have a game every night. You can't do that with international cricket, right? You can't do that at the same level. And also, I don't think you could ever have a thing where you could reclaim Saturdays in certain countries and just have every Saturday is the cricket day that you watch. All those sorts of things don't work. So the leagues and the way that we're currently doing it makes a lot more sense. And that's why they're taking over. You could have the ICC involved in running their own leagues. We could have had I always thought that the best way of doing it would be to have an IPL, then to have a bunch of regional tournaments where West Indies, England, say, and the rest of Europe have a league, and maybe the Southern Hemisphere has a league, and the rest of Asia has a league, whatever that may be, where they all get you know three or four teams each, and then you have overseas players available in them, and then you have a longer IPL in the middle, which is your major tournament. That is never going to happen now because everyone wants their own individual league. So we have this system where all these different leagues are popping up everywhere, at the same time that teams are trying to double dip, essentially. The national boards are trying to double dip by having more international cricket. Now, I do want to go back to something that I mentioned before about that sort of the history. This isn't new that we have too much cricket. You can go back all the way through to the 1800s. There was an astronomical amount of cricket played in England. In 1962, they played 32 three-day first-class games a summer in county cricket. And then they would usually play about five to six, maybe sometimes seven other games as well that weren't part of the county system. So against universities and, you know, all these sorts of things. There was a huge amount of cricket. You look at some of the tours that teams made to places like South Africa or the Australian and New Zealand legs, incredibly grueling schedules that went over and over and over again. There has always been, no doubt, just a lot of cricket played. And if you look at some of the West Indian players and what they've had to do, there was a period of time where the West Indians were sort of balancing Kerry Packers World Series cricket with West Indian cricket and county cricket or league cricket or whatever else they were playing. This isn't particularly a new thing. What has happened is that instead of it being one or two off and maybe 30 or 40 players, we're now talking about maybe... 100 to 150 to 200 players who are being overworked. And those players are kind of the top players, the players that we want to watch forever, right? And I think Ben Stokes mentioned Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson when he was talking to Sky before the game the other day, where he said that when he talked to Stuart Broad and said, do you think you've played this long in test cricket because you stopped playing white ball cricket? And Stuart Broad said, yes. I mean, that's kind of obvious. Jimmy Anderson had bowled a similar amount of balls at a similar age in cricket to Darren Goff. The difference was that Jimmy Anderson had bowled the vast majority of his in test cricket, whereas Darren Goff had bowled, I think, something like 75% in first-class cricket. If you get a Darren Goff, whether you're an England fan, whether you're the England board, whether you're international cricket-minded, whatever, you actually want to play like them out on the field doing the most possible. That didn't always happen. And so you got Sobers playing league cricket and, <laughs> you, you know, you got them playing, you know, county cricket, but for teams that were probably never going to go on and win a championship. And you got them playing World Series cricket and all these different things. Now we have a very similar situation. It's just that Kyron Pollard has to play in the Global T20 League and the Bangladesh Premier League and then the IPL and then or the PSL, maybe the Big Bash occasionally. And then he has to go back for the West Indies. 
The actual system is very similar. It's just that there are more options for more players to be able to do this at the moment. And if you do play all the formats and you're an international cricketer, you will make a lot of money. But you probably have to weigh that against how long you can perform physically at that level to make that amount of money. I always talk about Vince Carter, the basketballer, you know, this incredible athlete for the first 10 years of his career, made the majority of his money there. And then he basically becomes a role player at the back end of his career because his athleticism goes. There are a lot of cricketers who probably, maybe with batters that matters a little bit less, but there's probably a lot of bowlers who are going to have to make similar sort of choices of maybe the first 10 years where everything's going great, they can play as much as possible. But then the next 10 years, they're going to have to be really picky and choosy when they get their body up. And I think we've seen players maybe like Mitch McLennigan and Dirt Nannis who maybe made those sorts of decisions quite early on of, I can't continue to play this amount of cricket. And we're seeing players like Tamal Mills have to make those decisions even earlier. Sean Tate might've been another one. Again, when you look at the history of, well, since the front foot bowling no ball law, fast bowlers have always sort of eroded in that kind of way. The difference now is that there's a reason for them to keep coming back and to keep playing for long periods of time if they are very smart and they manage themselves correctly. We might get that with batters because of their backs, maybe even because of their hands. We might get that with spinners because of the wear and tear on their fingers, on their wrists, on their shoulders, their elbows, all those sorts of things that happen to spinners as well. Wicked keepers, again, players are going to make more and more informed decisions based on what we've already seen from certain players like Stuart Broad and Mitchell McLennigan and Kyron Pollard and these sorts of players. What tournaments should you go into? When should you go into them? I wrote a piece about AB to is about how I thought he had the ability and the money and the talent to play deep into his 40s, around 44, 45, and still be a top-level performer. And he clearly didn't want it. He didn't want to put the hours in. I think he felt a little bit, maybe just a bit exhausted by cricket by that point and the thought that he would have to do it. And you saw how unfit he was when he came back in one of the IPLs. He just wasn't ready. And he was absolutely struggling when he came back out. And he would have had to have worked all that out. But you could have come up with a schedule where he played maybe one tournament in the middle of the year and then one tournament leading into the IPL and then threw himself completely into the IPL. He could have done that for years. You might see players start to do things like that. Because if you really want to get the most out of your body and your earning, and if you think about it as a player, the way that the wages generally rise in cricket, you probably want a 20-year career maybe playing slightly less career than you do a 10-year career where you're playing a lot just because an extra 10 years of playing means the wages might have gone up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200% in some of these leagues and from the national boards as well. So realistically, it makes sense to think about that. This all comes back to playing too much cricket because there is still too much cricket, so players are going to have to pick and choose this and other sports have the same problem. Basketball is going through an existential crisis at the moment where it can't keep its best players ever on the court. It's not just a cricket thing. But there's absolutely no doubt that this isn't the first time it's happened. And I'm not just going back to, you know, 32 first-class games in Surrey and Sussex and all that sort of stuff, or the West Indians' weird schedule back in their day. If you listen to cricketers in the early 2000s, they talked about consistently how there was too much cricket being played. In fact, up until about 2006, 2007, it was really hard to interview a senior player without them mentioning the too much cricket story. And then the IPL came on and other leagues as well. 
And they stopped talking about that for a long while. We saw a lot of players, especially older players, cashing in on that. Players who had said two years before there was too much cricket were adding more cricket to their game. And eventually they did start to, you know, retire in installments and make all those sorts of decisions. But we had too much cricket before we had the IPL. The players were already telling us this. I'm talking about the IPL specifically because that's our elite, elite players, at least in T20, right? But if you want to factor in all these different leagues around the world, we certainly had way too much cricket as far as international cricket. I think the most test cricket that was ever played in years was played around 2004, 2005. It was staggering numbers. We've taken away some of those tests, but there's still a lot of bilateral one day. There's still a lot of bilateral T20, and there's still these leagues. Quite often, you have two leagues, of course. If you're not an Indian player, you're probably trying to appear in your local league, and then you're going to go off in a foreign league as well. So this too much cricket thing keeps happening. And one thing that I think it was Nasser Hussain asked Ben Stokes is, would the players be willing to take a pay cut? The interesting thing was that Nasser asked Ben Stokes that. He essentially is taking a pay cut right? He's saying, in order for me to continue to keep playing at the top level, what I'm going to have to do is I'm just going to play Tess and T20. So he is taking a pay cut. He's losing out on all of his one-day international game. So when NASA asked that, a lot of those players are taking a pay cut. The actual best case scenario for most of these players, and I'm including the freelance T20 players in this, is playing everything. But you talk to some of those players who've played in five, six, seven, eight leagues in a year, they can't do it. They're taking a pay cut when they're being offered deals and they're being offered contracts in other places just because they literally cannot perform at the level they have to to continue to maintain the money that they need to do. You know, we saw someone like Chris Gale go off and get refit at, what was he, 38, 39, I think, just because he was going from league to league to league and he got massively out of shape and he wasn't playing as good. He then got himself, his body and his mind back into gear. He played a few less series and started smashing everyone again. Those sorts of things happen all the time. And when you're talking about pay cuts as well, you have to think about the fact that what these players are trying to do really, to go back to my point from before, is get as many years as possible. These are not normal jobs. And we always have to factor that in. We either think about them as superheroes who should be loyal to the badge, or we think about them as jobs. I could be a cricket writer. Well, I've already been a cricket writer for, what, 15 years, 16 years? There's some cricket writers who worked well into their 60s and 70s and cricket commentators as well. I've got a long time to continue to do this. That's not how these players go. And so they do have to work out how to juggle the system so they can make the most money from their 15-year career because as the numbers will tell you, they will probably never make this amount of money again. Bad investments, not understanding business, not having any skills that work completely well in the job market, all those sorts of things happen the amount of times I've mentioned that LinkedIn is like a graveyard for former players, failed businesses. It really is scary out there. And they're trying to come up with interesting theories of how they can rest while play. I know one player went up to his international coach at one stage and said, do you mind if I just play as a batter in international cricket? And the coach said, yeah, we've got absolutely no problem with that. But if you only play as a batter for us, we expect you to do the same when you play in T20 leagues. This player then had to go weigh that up. Okay, so how am I going to do this? Eventually, I'm pretty sure that player probably retired a couple of years before they needed to just because they continued to play as an all-rounder and that toll took on their body. And the coach wasn't wrong. It's just that the system doesn't work. 
And Sean Pollock said on Sky after Ben Stokes had that interview with Nasser Hussain that this is more of a problem for England, Australia and India. I think Sean has a point overall because England, Australia and India, what they are trying to do to their international players at the moment makes absolutely no sense. And we've already seen one generation of England players probably retire earlier because of the amount of work that they had. They've managed to, by separating the formats a little bit better, not do that as much. Although they're still having Ben Stokes miss out on something. So Kevin Peterson obviously wanted to step down from certain formats. Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson were kind of forced into stepping down from certain formats. And Ben Stokes, England are already having to do that, which means their absolute best players are not available for all formats. That's going to continue. Joe Root hasn't played many T20 internationals, for instance. I think England is going to be the worst hit, and Australia and India certainly seem to be hit quite bad as well. But Kagisa Rabada was the most overworked seamer in international cricket by a long way in South Africa. And part of that is to do with how the quota system works. But a lot of it is to do with the fact that he is an all-format player. And when he's not playing for South Africa, they are not as good. But also South Africa can't afford to pay him that much. And so he has to play in the IPL every year. And he's probably going to want to pick up the odd job in, say, the Big Bash or the 100 or maybe even some county cricket to get more money. This isn't just the major three major teams. There's a lot of problems here. If you're Sri Lanka or the West Indies or South Africa or New Zealand and you get a great all-format player, there's going to be a lot of stress on them. And there's not a lot you can do because at a certain point, you have to play them and you can only pay them what you have. And so there's going to be more money out there. It's very hard to stop them from going off and doing more expensive jobs. When you really dig down into the biggest problem in cricket, not just the biggest problem, there's a real lie within the T20 game that isn't talked about enough, and I've written about it a little bit. The T20 goldmine only really ever helped India. Cricket Australia still need teams to tour them, right? The 100 is a long way away from having that. The PSL is a very, very good tournament and may eventually be the next one to be able to do it. They still need teams to tour them. South Africa's taking a big gamble at the moment, but all said and done, they're going to need teams to tour them. They still need international cricket to do this. The only country that, if they wanted to, completely shut up shop and just become league cricket is India because they make enough money from the IPL that that would ever be a problem. They'd still be losing a lot of money because international cricket makes them an absolute fortune as well. But every other board in the world, it hasn't found a way to make enough money off T20 cricket for that to make them boom. The economics of cricket is so thin that the only answer ever seems to be, once you've done a league, then you need to play more national cricket. And once you play more international cricket, you know, there's only so many hours in any day. And that's been cricket's problem for a long time. This was a problem before COVID. This was a problem before T20. This has been a problem for a long time that the players absolutely get rinsed. And so you see something like South Africa cancelling the ODI series against Australia so that they can get their players in another league. They're not actually playing less cricket. They're just playing a different amount of cricket, right? They're not resting. Maybe they don't have to travel as far and, it, you know, they're not playing at the absolute top level. So some of their players can coast a little bit, but it's the same thing. And something that we don't talk about in sport enough, I think it ruins the illusion at a certain point, but most athletes are treated like commodities. They essentially used until they are empty. Either their bodies give up or their form gives up or their technique falls apart or whatever it is, and they are replaced. This is the other big problem with the international model. At franchise or league level, that doesn't matter as much. You can always find a Nigerian stretch four playing in Africa or a Colombian left back to boost into your football team. In international cricket, you can't replace them as easily. 
So it makes no sense to push your players as hard as all these boards are. Even a country like India is probably ever only going to be able to make 25 or 30 truly elite players. And if you keep pushing them, they're no longer elite. I started off with something that Ben Stokes had said about the petrol and the diesel. But there's something else he said. And you hear this a lot in cricket, especially by players, occasionally by the media as well. Ben Stokes said that someone needs to look at the schedule. I don't think most people within cricket actually understand who runs it and how it is run. There is no one to look at the schedule. Well, in some ways, there are plenty of people to look at the schedule. And they'll all say the schedule is wrong. There is no one to fix the schedule. The ICC is not in charge of T20 leagues or bilateral series. Those are the two things causing the most problems. Don't get me wrong. The ICC has found a way to wedge a tournament in every available gap in the market themselves. And that's because that's the only way that they make money, of course. But essentially, it's the T20 leagues and the bilateral series that have always been the bigger problem. Individual boards showed through COVID that they need all this cricket just to survive. And so they're not going to make the calls on their own. They're going to continue to push. And so there is no one in charge. There is no one that can fix this schedule. There is absolutely no management structure within cricket, as it currently goes, that can fix this problem. And in some ways, it's always been that case. If you go back to the history of cricket, as we were talking before, the original series were put on for business. It's always been a business. We pretend it's not. And now, maybe one of the big differences is that Ben Stokes has made an investment call on himself. Instead of investing in every format of cricket, he's gone, I'm going to invest my time here and my time here. So that's where I'll get my maximum returns. And hopefully I can play as long as possible and continue to make the money that will help my family into the future. Maybe that's the biggest change. And before, the players were taking everything. So the money has improved so much in cricket that players can pick and choose a little bit more. I mean, that's not a good thing because to go back to my original point, the reason that we have too much cricket is because these boards are absolutely desperate for money. And when it comes down to it, no one is ultimately in charge of our game. And so everyone just keeps making decisions that help their wallet on any particular day. In some ways, that's what Ben Stokes has done. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. You can now download us wherever you find your apps just by putting in 99.94. There'll be other cricket podcasts not actually hosted by me, and there'll also be some radio commentary coming soon. This podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. Makunja Banredi is in charge of our video side. Orijoti Senpati turns the files into video podcasts, and Shubanka Patacharya makes our graphics. Our theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Cricket. <laughs>